I'm going to walk you through a number of scriptures. We're going to look at Elijah. We're going to look at the next part of this, uh, viewing Elijah as a type of our higher self or our self who sits in heavenly places in Christ. But I want to walk you through some scriptures to get to where I'm going today. So I want to start in Genesis chapter 8, the story of the flood. Genesis chapter 8. And... uh, Verse 4. No, I don't want to get into all that. Verse 4. I'm thinking out loud. Sorry. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the seventh day of the month, (coughs) on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made and he sent out a raven. Everybody say raven. Raven. He sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. And he also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot and she returned into the ark to him. For the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. So you have two birds. You have a raven. And the Hebrew word for raven uh, is descriptive of the color of the bird. So it literally, the word, the way it's defining the bird is black or dark. Got it? Then you have the dove. The raven goes out into the world and does not fly back, does not find a resting place. Does not find a resting place. So both doves go out. I mean, both birds, excuse me. The raven does not find a resting place and just keeps flying around until it finally does after the waters recede. The dove does not find a resting place upon the earth and flies back to Noah. And he brings it into the ark and to himself. All right. Keep that in mind. So then come with me to first Kings. This is our key text that we've been focusing on. First Kings 17 says in Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook that I have commanded the ravens to feed you. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and the bread and the meat in the evening. And he drank from the And come with me to Matthew. I know this is going to seem all somewhat unrelated, but we'll bring it all together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 25. Now, it's important to remember that the early Christians were not called Christians. They were called followers of the way. Those who followed the way. Verse 25, agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, 
Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. And assuredly, I say, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid every penny. And then finally, come with me to John's Gospel, chapter 4. Verse 10, Jesus meeting with a Samaritan woman. He answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said, To her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of water, springing up unto everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said, Go call your husband. Now, the word in Greek for husband does not exist. There's just one word for man. Same word. So it can be your your man. Go call your man and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no man. And Jesus said, you are right when you said, I have no man. For you've had five men. And the one whom you have now is not your man in that you spoke truthfully. (laughs) So we'll stop there and try to bring this all together. So let's come back to Elijah. All right. Let's come back to our, our friend Elijah. And remember. I'm looking at scripture at a deeper level of interpretation where it becomes a mirror for us of our spiritual journey. So if you listen to the teaching from last week, I talked about Jacob and Esau and how the name Rebecca, who was their mother, means to bring together, to bind together, and how the rabbis taught that Jacob represents the higher soul, which in the Hebrew is the nesama, or the divine self, in heaven, if you will. And the uh, Esau represents the lower soul, or the nefesh in the Hebrew, which relates more to the animal self. And so you have in Rebecca a picture of all of us when you have been impregnated by the divine seed. In other words, you've been awakened to your own divine potential. Now there is a wrestling match as two lives vie for ascendancy inside of you. The first one that comes out is Esau, which represents the lower self, the natural man, Adam, or life lived without connection to the higher self and God. Jacob represents the higher self. So Esau comes out first. And what is Jacob doing? He's grasping at the heel. Now, Jacob's name does not mean deceiver. Jacob's name means supplanter. And it's all a mystery for you to see that what happens is when the divine seed is awakened in you, there is a younger self, at least from the perspective of your experience, who is grappling with the older self or the old man, the new man grappling with the old man, in order to supplant it so that God said, the younger, or I'm sorry, the elder shall serve 
the younger. So the purpose is never to get rid of the lower soul. The purpose is to bring it into submission and harmony with the higher soul. There's the mystery of it. Got it? Now, Ahab's name means brother. Or one from the same womb. That's what the name means. Elijah is a combination of the two names of God, Elohim and Yahweh. So he's Eli-Yah in human form. So he represents the divine self or the higher self. Ahab is from the same womb. And he's ruling as king independently of the voice of God. So he represents the lower self that moves out in independence and without knowledge and in ignorance and in darkness from the higher self. You got it? So this meeting then is of the higher self and the lower self meeting. And when the higher self comes, the higher self pronounces a word of judgment on the lower self. Basically saying, you think you're king, but I'm now in charge. I stand before the presence of God. I'm now in charge. And I'm cutting off your sustenance. There will be no rain. Until I say so. So what's the next thing Elijah's told to do? Go to a brook. By himself. Hide himself by a brook. Right? Drink from the brook. (laughs) Right? And then who's commanded to feed him? The ravens. And what do they bring him? Flesh and bread to sustain him. Yes? Now, raven is chosen for its dark color. Because it symbolizes that which hides in the darkness. Which is why when... See, this this whole pattern is in the Bible when you know to look for it. When Noah is in the ark, he sends out the raven first. Who came out first in Rebecca's womb? Esau. Adam came before Christ. So when it, that first principle is always the lower mind. So it goes out looking for sustenance in the world and is so drawn to the world that it never comes back. It just keeps wandering to and fro looking for something until it finds something. <clears throat> it's kind of the nature of the lower self, isn't it? The dove represents then what? The higher self who goes out but then returns. Are you breathing? Yeah, right. I'm trying to go slow. So, Eliyah goes by himself to the brook. And what feeds and sustains him? The ravens feeding him flesh. Okay? Keep that in mind. Now, let's leave that alone. We'll come back to it, okay? Okay? Now we're going to change channels. 
We're going to talk about the woman at the well. So Jesus meets the woman at the well by himself. Now, this is very important. Thank you, sir. This is very important because what you need to see is Jesus' disciples went off by themselves. They left him. The woman is coming to draw water by herself. Everybody say by herself. So Jesus is by himself. And the woman is by herself. So you have a one-on-one encounter. No disciples, no people. Is it possible that Jesus represents the higher self and the woman represents the lower self? And the story represents that internal connection that we all must discover for ourselves, that no disciple or follower of Jesus can give us. Because remember, the raven, okay, so the raven wanders off by itself. Cain, firstborn. Abel, secondborn. Cain does what? Becomes a... Wanderer, right? (laughs) Right? So you have a woman who's wandered and has no man. Fragmented and disconnected. No, doesn't really know where she belongs. All she knows is she's trying to quench her thirst. Jesus, or Christ, representing the higher self, is the masculine principle. The woman at the well is the lower self, the feminine principle. And the well of water (laughs) that she drinks from is when that connection or harmony comes. So really, the marriage supper of the Lamb can be a personal experience between your higher self in Christ and your lower self that does not know where she belongs. Now here's the issue. Whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I give will not thirst, not because it's a one-time thing, you drink from it and boom, your thirst is magically gone forever. But because the water that I give you will become in you a well of water springing up to everlasting life. So in other words, there has to come... What we see in both of these stories, the story of the woman and the story of Elijah, is that in order for the higher self to manifest upon the earth, in order for the real new birth to happen... You have to get alone by yourself. And you have to have your personal encounters. The well of water is in you, springing up to everlasting life. So it's not a meeting outside of you. It's not somebody who has rivers of living water flowing out of them who's feeding you. It's not... All these things have their place. It's not fellowshipping together. It's not being taught the Word 
It's not listening to worship songs and enjoying the worship songs because all that stuff is coming from without and feeding you this way. Music, teaching, gifts of spirit, laying on of hands. You see it? Whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And will consistently be dependent on something or someone outside of themselves to feed and sustain them. But whoever drinks of the water that Christ gives finds the resource within them. And when they find that resource within them, they can go within and drink of that water any time. And it springs up unto everlasting life. Which means the only way you can do this is in isolation. But what happens is you become weaned off of your dependence upon anything else. And it is not until you become weaned off of your dependence from other things that you can truly become the servant of God. Or fulfilled or empowered or fearless. Because otherwise you're dependent on something outside yourself. So watch this. So the disciples, I didn't read this part of the story, but the disciples go into the city to find food. Which means they are carried away by their unmet need looking for something to sustain them outside of themselves. And that's why they leave Jesus. So the similarities between the story, Elijah calls for a famine. The water dries up and the food goes away. Then he gets by himself and the ravens feed him. Jesus does not go into the town to get hungry. to get food the disciples do she's coming to draw water but she's coming alone which in the culture was unheard of and there's all this wild speculation oh it's because she was such a hoe and and disregarded by the by the community that she's just no self-respecting woman would would be caught with them i mean have you heard those messages i've heard them no it's a spiritual principle john's trying to get you to see So the disciples go hungry and they leave Jesus looking to be sustained externally. She comes, she's leaving the external to find the sustenance that comes from within. Which is why she leaves her pot and runs off. That's why John says, why does he have to say that? Why didn't he just say she went and told the Samaritans? He doesn't say, she left her pot there and went and told the Samaritans. Why? Because it's a picture of the stripping away of dependence upon all external things. So that in reality, you you are loving... Most of us love people because of what they do for us, not because of anything that's flowing out of us. And if they quit doing for us, then by golly, we're going to put them in their place. And we're going to work really hard to make sure that they stay in that place or we're going to be offended at them. Or, uh, uh. Most people choose churches 
based on what it can do for them. And then they get involved and love it. But boy, if you change what's doing for them, oh, oh, this wasn't the deal. A lot of your friendships are based on that same principle. You see it? So are you really loving them? Ask yourself, am I really loving them because of a quality that comes out of me? Am I really doing this because out of a place of principle? Or am I doing this really to feed myself and sustain myself on something other than the well that comes from within? In which case, I'm just using you to love myself. You're the vehicle through which I've chosen to get my unmet needs met. And the moment you stop meeting my unmet needs, I'm going to switch vehicles. Uh, I don't want to make this... I just want you to understand a process that you go through. If you want real spiritual growth and real spiritual transformation, this is the pathway. So back to Elijah. So Elijah... No, okay, so let me give you this. So how do we do this? So the Hebrew word for meditation... The Hebrew word for meditation, the root of it means to isolate or to be alone. So everybody say meditation means to isolate or to be alone. Okay. Now, that might make you think, let's don't go to group meditation. Let's go off by ourselves. But here's what the rabbi said going all the way back to at least the 12th and 13th century. The rabbis say about that word, it's not physical isolation it is internal isolation where you isolate yourself from your other selves where you isolate yourself from your other selves or I said like this in the first service you break the habit of being yourself Or you begin to separate your essence from your thoughts and your feelings and your physical body. In other words, in meditation, if done correctly, you begin to discover that you have a self that transcends every role that you play. That in other words, I play a role as a husband to Julie. I play a role as a father to Elijah and Josiah. I play a role as counselor to people in my other job. I pay, play a role as pastor, teacher, whatever, to people in the church. Yep. See it? Those are all different selves. Those are all different ways of being in the world that I adopt. But there is a life essence that embodies all of those selves. And sometimes I'm not aware of that. Because sometimes I get so involved in the self that I'm, the role that I'm playing, that I become the role. You can get so involved in a thought that you become the thought. You can get so involved in an opinion that you become the opinion, which is why in our day and age you can't challenge anybody's opinion. Because they take it as a direct assault on them. Because they've merged their, they've so invested themselves in their idea that the two are inseparable. And so what has to happen is there has to come this isolation, which is why Cherith, the book Cherith, means to cut or to slice. So when Elijah, the higher self, watch this, goes by the brook, he's going within to that well of living water. You got it? 
to drink from that and in the process is slicing himself. It's a picture of us slicing ourselves away from all our other false selves so that only the essence, the Eli Yah, the divine spark, the spirit, the divine essence begins to, begins to glow and radiate and be separated from all those other identities and issues and false selves, if you will. And that's what meditation is designed to do and that's why we fight it so much. And that's why we want to listen to music when we do meditation. Or we want to do guided meditation. Or anything that will prevent us from having to face all those other parts of ourselves. Now here's the other thing that I think we've messed up in the Western world, and particularly in the charismatic church. Everything's the devil. Everything's out there. Nothing's ever in here. Empaths. People call themselves empaths. There's a big buzzword out there right now. They do the same dang thing. I'm an empath. Oh my God, I can't be around people because I pick up so much anxiety. Oh, I'm an empath. I pick up so much depression. Yeah, it it can't be your anxiety or depression, can it? So we got to put it on somebody else and say, I'm not responsible for having those feelings. I'm just an empath. I'm special. I'm just picking it up from everybody else. No. So, so if it's not somebody else that's coming from, oh, making me feel that, then it's the devil. The devil is doing this to me. And so we fight. And so this whole deliverance model, boy, if you've got, if you've got depression, you have a spirit of depression and spirit of grief, and we need to get that spirit of grief off of you. If, 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 if things are going messed up in the family, we gotta war and do spiritual warfare against the principalities and powers in heavenly places and pull them down and things are supposed to change. Get rid of your lucky charms. Throw away your crystals. Then your marriage will get better. Right? Everything's always out there. The adversary's out there. And we fight. And then, and then finally it's okay. It's just the flesh. <clears throat> it's just the flesh. And what are you told to do with your flesh? Kill it. They never told you how. I think Neil, what was that guy? The bondage breaker guy. Somebody help me out. Neil Anderson. His stuff was, you just reckon it dead. Just reckon it to be true. Just, okay, Jesus killed that stuff. Sure feels alive right now, but Jesus killed it. Boy, does it feel alive. But Jesus killed it. Okay, I just got to come to believe that Jesus already killed it. Did that ever work for anybody? I'm just curious. Because you're still creating an adversary. Ah, now we're back to Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> you're still creating an adversary. The adversary is the devil. The adversary is the vibrations I'm picking up from other people. The adversary is my own flesh. The adversary is my feelings. And so I got to... And so spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is against what? The flesh, the world, the devil. So you're fighting everything. You're fighting your own essence and, and, and stuff inside of you. You're fighting the world. So you're fighting everybody around you. And you're fighting some something out there somewhere in some unseen realm that exists some someplace. And they give you the hierarchy, principalities, powers, dominions, spiritual forces, and heavenly places. And everything's wicked. Get rid of your crystals and get rid of your movies and get rid of because it's all out there. And, it's, and we think we're doing real spiritual work. You see it? But Elijah, Elijah is ruling a whole nation. He doesn't do any of that. 
He, you'll see, as we get into this later, he turns an entire nation. And he doesn't do any of that stuff. What he does basically is he, he approaches, the, the higher self comes in and says, I'm in charge and I'm cutting you off from all your sustenance. What's the sustenance? Ah, let's come back to the woman at the well. Can we? What did Jesus say? How many, husband, how many men did she have? Five. You know what the early church fathers said about that verse in their commentaries? Because they weren't hung up on her being a hoe. Sorry. They said it represents the five physical senses. You've had all five to feed yourself. You've had all five to try to satisfy that thirst and that empty place inside of you. Which is why he goes on the next ver- the next section and says, there's coming a time when you'll worship neither on this mountain, and you won't worship over here, and you won't worship over there. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. But before you can get in spirit, you've got to divorce yourself from all five of your husbands. You've got to be able to divorce yourself from all five of your senses. You've got to be able to isolate yourself from this physical reality and looking for sustenance from everything outside of yourself. Because as long as you have the five, the one you're with now, who was Jesus, he wasn't referring to somebody else she was hoeing around, I'm sorry, she was sleeping with. He's saying the one you're with now is not your husband. Why? Because you're married to the other five. So until you acknowledge that you're married to the other five and you divorce the five, you can't have the one that's standing in front of you offering you (laughs) the... The water of eternal life. Oh, come on. That's... So meditation is a place then where I strip myself of all those five and I come deep within and I find that Christ principle and I find that higher self within me and I begin to become sustained from within and from my relationship with God. And now it's no longer what I believe, it's what I know because it's what I've experienced for myself. And when you have, some, and there's there's a huge difference between believing and knowing. But you can only count, encounter him not just in isolation, but in internal isolation. Now here's our problem: when you start doing this, if you start practicing this, all your mess is going to start coming. <laughs> Anxiety, fear, anger. You, you you'll find yourself being more emotional. Gosh, where's all this emotion coming from? Where's all this anger coming from? You? Where's all this anxiety and fear coming from? You? Where's all this discord and disharmony coming from? Inside of you. These are the children that your other five gave you. And what we're told to do, now watch this, what we're told to do is kick out our kids. Like Abraham with Ishmael. I wonder what Ishmael represents now. His firstborn. What does Isaac represent? He was secondborn. The elder shall serve the younger. What was the first bird to go out? The raven. You see the pattern? Who was born first? Cain. So, so Abraham sends Ishmael out, but what does Ishmael do? He has to come right back home. And learn to be submitted. 
So the problem is you've got all this stuff and you're trying to cast it out. Get away from it. Ugh. I rebuke the spirit of fear. Like, like I've struggled with fear. Like, I can't even tell you. And I came out of the faith movement. You know, you just confess it and possess it. We had two tools. They were all big. We were big mouth Christians. We named it and claimed it, blabbed it and grabbed it, confessed it and possessed it. And then if it was bad, we shouted it out. <laughs> right? So we just had a big mouth. So struggling with fear. So God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. God has not given me that. I'm, I'm confessing. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. God has not given me a spirit of fear, power, love, and a sound mind. Man, I feel afraid. I rebuke you, fear. I cast you out. I go for deliverance for fear. Oh, I ate Lucky Charms. Maybe that's where that fear came from. Oh, I... Found in the archives of my mom's, of my mom and dad's, storage bins, a medicine man mask. Oh, now I know where all my problems came from. I just get rid of that medicine man mask. I'm going to be good. Come on, let's call the intercessors over so they can (laughs) cleanse the atmosphere. It's, I'm I'm not trying to be harsher to smell. I'm just saying, did it work? Is Is it in the Bible? Here's the point. The ravens fed Elijah. And he ate the flesh. You don't cast out your children. You invite them to supper. You don't try to get rid of that scared you. You bring that scared you to the Eliyah inside of you. And actually, the Eliyah find his sustenance, is able to take that and transform it into strength and energy. See, all that stuff is expressions of you. Jesus came to what? Save you. Don't we call him the Savior? But that's not what the church told us. The church said he wanted to get rid of us. And and replace us with some better version of ourselves. That's not salvation. That's not saving anything. So it wasn't until you you sit down with that scared, anxious part of you. You sit down with that depressed part of you. You sit down with that angry part of you. What's that about? You sit down with the, the part of you that has inordinate desires for sex or drugs or alcohol or food or Netflix binging or, or music or like, like, like the issue is none of this, it's all neutral. It's all neutral. The issue is, are you drawing a source of life from it that is inordinate and creating a problem for you? And that could be anything. That could be Starbucks. That could be, you see what I'm saying? That could be Christian music. That could be going to church. That could be going from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting looking for goosebumps. Charismatic. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm not saying you have to totally give all that stuff up. I'm saying, you know, God said He's given you everything to enjoy, but don't become dependent upon anything for your sustenance. Then you can enjoy all things without being enslaved to them. 
But this can only happen when you go to the Brooks Sheriff. So therefore, Jesus said, agree with your adversary while you are on the way. What if that adversary is a part of yourself that you've been fighting? What if while you're on the way with him, there's this part of you that doesn't fit with who you think you're supposed to be as a good Christian, who you're supposed to be as whatever, and it keeps pulling you this way, and the two of you are fighting. Oh, that, if, if I could just kill the flesh, if I could just crucify the flesh, if I could just kill it, if I could just get rid of it, if I could just cast it out, if I could just push it away. <laughs> and Jesus says, if you keep doing that, what's going to happen? Watch, watch the process. Watch the process internally. If you keep fighting with the adversary, what does the adversary do? Turns you over to the judge, not God. Because if he turned you over to God, there'd be salvation in your own internal judgments. I hate that part of myself. I hate that I do that. I hate that I'm so afraid. I hate that I get so afraid in confrontations that I know what I'm going to say when I get in a person's presence and then I get in that person's presence and I just, oh, nice, isn't that wonderful, yeah. Isn't the weather great? Isn't that wonderful? Oh, yeah. Love you, brother. Yeah, love you, sister. And then walk away. Dang it. I, I wanted to do it, but I was just so afraid and I hate that part of me that gets, well, why do you get afraid and why can't you just stand up for yourself? Why can't you? See, so bringing it to the judge. And what does the judge do? Keeps putting you in prison. And it's a process. It's an intellectual process. It's a psychological process that you walk through and I walk through almost every day of our lives. And Jesus says, don't do it that way. He says, agree with your adversary. So you've got to find a harmonious relationship. You've got to let the ravens come to you and realize that they're there to feed you and sustain you. All right, let's do it this way. Let's say you've got an anger problem. There's nobody in here is angry, I know. But let's say you lose your temper. And you hate that you lose your temper. Maybe you don't hate that you lose it, but let's say you do. And Because you, you know it's cost you in relationships and various different things. You know it's killing you. It's raising your blood pressure. It's doing all this stuff to you, right? And you hate that temper. You just can't get away from it. Away from that temper. That is. Now, I don't use the term soulish like every other preacher you've ever heard. The soul is not evil. The soul is what God came to save. Jesus came to save. It's psychic, and I'm using that not in the term of something occultish, it means of the psyche. It's soulish or psychic energy that you are spending that is a part of yourself that can be better spent somewhere else. So when you eat, what happens? You take what's there, you eat it, and it becomes transformed into what? Energy. So here's the picture. In meditation, when that higher self becomes distinguished from all the other selves, and you're sitting in that higher self, the book Cherith, where you've cut off all that other stuff. You realize, I am not a pastor. It's a role I play. I'm not a father. It's a role I play. I'm not a husband. It's a role I play. I'm not a man. It's a role I play. I'm not Aaron Tomlinson. That's a name that I was given. I am Eli Yah. 
I am an emanation of the divine presence. I am a child of God. I am an eternal being of light that transcends all time and space, thought, feeling, and physical experience. Now I can look at every problem I have and not make it personal. That which lost his temper is not me. That which is anxious is not me. That which is confused is not me. It's energies. And I want those energies to serve me, not defeat me. Got it? So I internalize them. It's not everybody else and I'm an empath and everybody else is messed up and I'm just more gifted than all y'all so you don't know it. (laughs) You really don't know how messed up you are but boy, I'm really feeling the vibration. It's not the devil out there doing this to you because you played with the Ouija board when you were eight. Got it? So, you, so what am I doing? So I don't become overwhelmed by it. How do I not become overwhelmed by it? Because I've, I've got to isolate myself and I've got to drink. I've got to have that one-on-one personal experience with Jesus where what is the real need that is here? What is the real, what am I thirsty for? What, what am I using this experience to satisfy? And how can I bring it to Jesus in order to satisfy? How, How can I bring it to the living water? How can I get my sustenance and all of that? And here's what you'll discover, and then I'm done. Here's what you'll discover. You'll discover that internally all those energies want for you something good. The darkest desire that you have is wanting to bring you into an elevated state of consciousness. When Eve saw the tree, that it was desirable to the eyes that it was good for food, and that it would make one wise. She took. See the structure of it? She didn't want to die. She wanted to be wise. She she thought if she ate something outside of herself, she could attain a state of being that could only come from within. It's the truth. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. You'll be like God. It's already inherent in there. It just needed to be opened up from the inside out. So the deception is, if you eat something, even good Bible study, and internalize it, it'll make you who like God. You see it? Where was I? <laughs> I kind of got lost in that moment. <clears throat> everything you're doing, every energy, every the darkest desire that you have wants a wants to bring you into a positive state of being, seeking to do it from the outside in. Paul said this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy. 
peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Right? Fruit of the Spirit. What's that living water? It's the Spirit. It comes from within. Which means you have the ability, when you isolate yourself and you drink from the well within, to have generated inside you a state of love that is not dependent on what somebody else does for you. A state of peace that is not dependent upon everything going well for you. And a state of joy that's no longer dependent upon you always getting your way. That you begin to, at the book, Brooke Cherith, experience those states of consciousness, and then what happens is you bring those problems into those states and they become transformed. See, Jesus told his disciples this. We miss it. Because I told you I am going away, your hearts are filled with sorrow. But your sorrow will be turned into joy. Not your sorrow will go away from you. Not your sorrow will be cast out. Your sorrow will go through an alchemical process of transmutation where lead becomes gold. And that which was sorrow now becomes joy. And that's the process that God is taking Elijah through. At the brook Cherith. That's the process. So all those ravens, see, now back to Noah. All those ravens that you sent out that are looking in the world for sustenance have to return now. But they can only return because you're the one that cast them out. They can only return if you invite them back. Oh my God, somebody on the internet is, he just told them to invite their demons back into them. See, I knew. (laughs) That guy... Thumbs down, YouTube. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Really does work. All those parts of you are looking for living water. There are those women that have been with the five men and haven't found a home. That you bring and introduce to your higher self, the you that's in Christ, the you that's eternal, the you that's filled with light, the you that's divine. And those energies become transformed and then what happens? The elder begins to serve the younger. So now when I put on husband, I'm putting it on with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Now when I put on father, I'm putting it on with love, joy, peace. Now when I put on pastor, hopefully, I'm doing it with love, joy, peace. When I'm going into conflict, I'm doing it with love, joy, peace. When I go into difficult situations, no longer am I doing it from a place of fear, but from a place of power and love and of a sound mind. Because I had to invite all those fears in and talk to them and find out what they wanted for me and then find out how they could get it from within rather than from without. 
So when the ravens came back home, they fed me my own flesh so that I would become stronger and be sustained from the famine. See it? Cut the lower self off. Now it can't be fed. So now the ravens are returning to find their home within. It's a beautiful picture. I hope you can see it. Isn't it fun studying the Bible this way? It's so much better than some of the other stuff I did. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that um, your will and desire and purpose for each one of us is to meet us at the well one-on-one, to meet us in isolation, to meet us one-on-one, person-to-person. And so I'm asking that you will help us to return to that well within that springs up to everlasting life, that you will help us to adjust our lifestyles and our situations, our mindsets, the whole thing, so that we can spend time uh, in meditation, isolating ourselves, spend time feeding and drinking from the well within. Lord, in order for any of this to happen, there has to be a removal of judgment. And so I pray right now that you will continue to challenge by your love and by your grace the judge inside our own head that judges ourselves and judges others and even in the end judges you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. Thank you.